0: Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you have not left us as often. And we pray that this morning you would just remind us of the enormous gift you have given us in your Son, in your love and in your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray that you would make your word come alive for us this morning, that we might come alive for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like this morning, um, trying to do one of those cooking shows, you know, that you see on TV, I'm going to try and um, capture the whole Christian gospel from the creation to the end in, on a tabletop. Uh, maybe somebody could just help me. Oh, no. Thanks, Amit. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> That's fine. Thank you very much. Yeah, cool. Um, we're talking about Matthew, uh, John's gospel and John's writing you know who John was he was one of the, yeah, probably one of the youngest disciples he was a man who grew old reflecting on the meaning of Jesus the meaning of his life, death and resurrection he was the man who was exiled in Patmos for years and then he wrote Revelation and he also wrote this gospel he knew that Matthew, Mark and Luke existed at the time So he wasn't trying to write a factual report in sequence, historical sequence. John is much more of a philosophical, spiritual interpreter, and he's speaking about the meaning of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And in these chapters 13, 14, 15, John is speaking about Jesus' last evening or last few days before his crucifixion. It's a traumatic time, as we talked about last week, He's washed the disciples' feet and they don't understand what he's done. In John's gospel, that's enormously symbolic because he takes off his outer garment, he puts on the towel and he takes the position of a slave. And John is very clearly saying, God's son, Jesus, laid down his life and became a servant, a slave, and washed his disciples' feet. Peter said, no, 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 no. you're not going to wash my feet. And Pete John, says, I mean, Jesus says, unless I wash... You will have no part of me. Peter was continually, as we talk about often, Peter was continually saying to Jesus, I've got a better idea. Maybe some of us relate to that. No, Lord, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy, and all that nonsense, you know. We, we discount ourselves, but we, uh, and Jesus just says, you do. What we're talking about this morning is actually obedience, radical obedience. But the only way that we're going to actually enter into the kind of obedience that Jesus calls us to, is to also enter into the radical love that he has. And too often, what we're doing this morning is for a reason, um, obviously. The reason is that our faith in our culture today can be incredibly emotionally shallow. The disciples that Jesus was speaking to were rooted in Jewish history. You didn't have to talk to them you wouldn't have to do an alpha course with them and talk to them about does God exist. As you would not have to do in many parts of Africa, Asia or South America. In the Western world, you have to start with even the existence of God. But these guys didn't need convincing about God's reality, they just didn't have a clue what God was doing. Which is encouraging to me. And if you look at these passages, all these chapters, and for those of you wondering why I'm so casually dressed, because I'm in working clothes, you see, because God is going to be working. So I'm not God, I'm just sort of helping Him, <laughs> serving Him. Jesus the servant, what does that tell you? Very, very simple, don't trade it ever again, ever any time. The hallmark of the Spirit of Jesus in any human being is a towel around your waist and you wash people's feet. Servant, the hallmark of the Spirit of God in every human being that's called Jesus Lord. No exceptions. We human beings without that Spirit of God and humility are very, very dangerous because we love power, we love doing things in God's name. And I'm afraid we will get to that in a minute. I better not get ahead of myself. So these disciples were shocked. They were confused. They were floundering. If you read the, the, that uh, 13 and 14, Simon says, Lord, where are you going? I'm on th- verse 36. I'm just skimming this three quickly. Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. I'll do anything you want. In my own strength, I'll do it. And he was sincere, and he was convicted, and he was passionate, and he loved Jesus, and he was totally wrong. And Jesus said to him, and I'm sure he said with a smile and enormous compassion, because he loves people who try. He says, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter, you don't know what you're saying. Then he goes on, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust also in God, trust also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. And they all of course said, of course, that makes sense. No, they didn't. They didn't have a clue what they were saying. So he said, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says that in our contemporary culture, I am the way, the truth, and the life to God. Not Buddha, not Hinduism, not any other isms. That's not a judgmental, arrogant statement. It's just, why call a Cadillac a false Why why, why settle for second best? Jesus is the only place in in history, in world religions, where God is personal, where God becomes human and suffers and loves. So pluralism and the the acceptance of all religions is nonsense. It's intellectual suicide, and it's also a very cruel joke. Anyway, I've got to be disciplined. Sort of, anyway. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even uh, even even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me, says Jesus, has seen God, the Creator, who is Father revealed in me. Otherwise, He's just impersonal God. The only place God is revealed in human history as caring one little bit about you and me is in Jesus. There's no evidence for it anywhere else. And the reason this is important and the reason we're going to go through this tabletop of creation is because our Rootedness in our own faith needs to be rooted in history and rooted in the Gospel and rooted in the Old Testament and rooted in God and rooted throughout into the New Testament and then into the history of Pentecost and the spiritual gifts. We're in a culture that basically treats church and God like McGod or McChurch. I'll just take whichever selection I want. Thank you very much. It suits me. And that's why it's so powerless and so insipid. And so these disciples... I. In encouragement for all of us. These disciples were totally confused and were asking questions all the time to Jesus. Why? Why? Where? How? And Jesus had to say to them, well, you'll have to wait for a lot of the answers. But I'm telling you that I will send you my spirit and my spirit will lead you into all truth. And look what he says in verse 12 or 14. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The counsel of the Holy Spirit and the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. My peace I leave with you. And I do not leave you that peace as the world gives you peace. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Of course, they were terrified. Judas, we read about in chapter 13, left the room. He couldn't handle it. He basically said, Jesus, this is way too much for me. I'm going to stay with the status quo. And so he went and betrayed Jesus. I wonder how many of us would have left. How many of us would have said, this is this is too far out. I wonder what you would have done that night when Jesus washed feet and said he was leaving. So with this backdrop of Jesus leaving, being crucified, with this backdrop of Easter that's part of where we are now let's uh, go to the cooking class and try and uh, put this in, in in another context or at least in a picture form what we're going to start with is God We have to be patient with this you know just humor me a bit because I'm just going to wing it now or no God please help me Jesus I'm I'm always on to Brad and David for starting praying, God, God. They call him Jesus or Father. I mean, he came all this way to tell tell us to be personal. So, in the beginning, God created, right? This is the beginning. There was light. When God speaks, things happen. And God created. Now, you have to give me some um, latitude here. We're not going to cover every base and every item from creation to salvation and back again. How many of you got iPods or computers with wireless transmission? Any clue how they work? How on earth do you, 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 you uh, what do you call it, um, boot up a, a computer? without any connections to anything, and there's a wireless signal, and it captures a wireless signal, and all kinds of things happen. You get newsletters from me. I mean, isn't that a wonderful miracle? Well, so, so, you know, the, the, the technology of our day is amazing. It shouldn't surprise us that God's technology might be a bit more amazing and might be a little bit more mysterious. So that's a good philosophical plea for realizing there's lots we won't understand. So in the beginning, God created. There's God. And he created... What did he create? He created the world. But before he created the world, what did he create? Any ideas? Interactive. Saw the stars? Yeah, that was part of it. You're very good. You got the the right answer last week too for a guy who skis all week. You're pretty good. (laughs) Andrew skis for Jesus. I'm jealous of it. Um, he made the angels what were the angels? I don't know the angels exist, angels are spirit beings but the hallmark of all of God's creation is free freedom, free will and in that angelic creation he gave even the angelic beings the opportunity to say no to him So the origin of Satan's downfall, Satan is basically an angelic being who rebelled against God and said, I want to be like that. Which, you will see, is a theme that runs through history. So the angelic beings, some of them fell. And Satan was the head angelic being that fell. One of the important truths that we need to understand with God is that when that angelic being fell... We call him Satan. He took a bunch of people with him. And when he took that, when God gives somebody something, he doesn't take it back. What do I mean? These are very, very... I'm being informal, but they're very important principles. The angelic being that fell had the powers that they had when they were angelic beings. So God does not take away power you have power, it's just how you use it that becomes the issue. If I had been God, I would have taken his power away and said, lie on the ground and flap your wings for a while. But he didn't. Uh, so, so Satan and the angelic beings that are against God because they are in rebellion against him, were the first created order. And ultimately the, the voice of Satan or the rebellious angelic being is always, don't trust him, God doesn't mean it, and you could be God. Then God created the earth, and I was going to get one of those inflatable balloon things, and we could blow it up and say God made the earth, but I couldn't find one. So God created the earth, he creates Eden. I've got to keep moving here, otherwise I'll stop the creation. Um, and God created Adam and Eve. This is Adam and Eve. And they're in the Garden of Eden, and they're walking around all naked and lovely, and, and they whistling the tunes and walking with God in the afternoon and having a great time. Into the garden slithers the slug as a snake. Because he's always... Remember when we talked about the garden two weeks ago? Wherever the gardener is working, the slug is working. The weeds are growing. That's part of creation because of the freedom that God has given to all creation. It's a mystery, but it seems to be true because I see it in my life. Do you see it in yours? (laughs) Sam does. Thank you. so God creates what happens Adam and Eve talk to the slug and what does the snake say the snake says what was the one rule in the garden don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil why not don't eat of the knowledge of tree and evil what, is, what does the slug say the snake sorry I keep getting mixed up the snake says God doesn't mean it he says if you eat of that fruit you will die The snake says, no, you won't die. You'll be like God. You'll have his power. You don't need to be afraid of that. Then he slithers off. And Adam and Eve go, hmm, I wouldn't mind having a bit more power. Let's have a bite. So they bite the fruit, and they find out what the knowledge of good and evil is. They find out that The knowledge that they get is a conscience. And they don't know what to do with it. Because as soon as they eat of the fruit, they basically start hiding from God. Because God in his love was saying, don't eat of that fruit because you won't be able to handle the consequences. I'm telling you in love not to do it. Satan in bitterness always tempts you into something in order to get control of you. Get you away from God. So what happens is that God comes and He looks for them, and Adam and Eve basically are hiding. He has to, therefore, say you'll have to be out. Of, you'll have to be outside the garden. Why would you have to be outside the garden? Because by definition, you're polluted, and the garden is pollution-free. Therefore, you cannot be with God. It doesn't matter how much I love you. You you cannot be by definition. You have have disobeyed me, and my my command to you was in love and compassion and tenderness and enormous caring for you. But the doubt that got sowed in your mind and the doubt that caused you to therefore disobey me has had consequences that were way beyond your understanding. And so what happened was, this is the big trick here, That's meant to stand up. There we go. There is now. Oh, it's white on that side and black on this side. I guess that means something. There was now a barrier between God and his creation. So what happens now? What he what he does is he the first thing he says is, do you know what he did? No, Andrew's not allowed to answer this time. Did anybody else know (laughs) it? What else what is it what did he do? What did God do with us now? They've got a big barrier? It's Who's been teaching you, brothers and sisters? Huh? What did he do? He clothed them, yes, he did. They were kicked out of the garden. He loves them very, very much. They couldn't go back into the garden, so then what? Uh, that's a little bit further down the road. What did he do in the whole Old Testament? Thank you. On heaven's side, there came a voice animal sacrifices. He basically said, I love my children enough that I want to make it possible for them to be reconciled to me. So he said, Look, if you, the penalty for sin, for rebellion, and you know what sin is? S-I-N. We've said this a thousand times. I in the middle. When it's God, it's S-O-N. O in the middle, right? But when it's sin, it's I am going to be God, not God. So he said, if you repent, which means change your mind, and say, in effect, oh shoot, I'm sorry, i screwed up. I'll respond to you if uh, some of you are having a good morning because you can't see anything behind the screen hi there um, you're in heaven so um, he said he said i something has to die so what i will accept is an animal sacrifice you give me the best of what you have you sacrifice it to me not because i i need a big abattoir in the sky and i'm into meat it's more it's for your sake i need a death the shedding of blood, that's the way the law works. So you place an animal and sacrifice it, and if you are sincerely sorry, I'll forgive you. So they did that. And of course, it wasn't very long before human beings were saying, have you got an old dog? I want to give it to the God to sacrifice so I can be forgiven. It became a ritual. Every single thing God ever gives us always has to be redeemed again and again and again because we tend to take it from the depth to the superficial... And it becomes a hoop that you jump through. And then we say, all you have to do is go to God and slaughter a cow and he'll be fine. He'll be happy with you. All you have to do is go to church and he'll be happy with you. All you have to do is go to Christmas and Easter and he'll be happy with you. All you have to do is keep the Ten Commandments, of which you keep none, and he'll be happy with you. What was the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments was a description of who God is without sin. The Ten Commandments is a mirror. The Ten Commandments is nothing that he expects you to keep. Expect you to look into it and go, Whoa, I need a Saviour. It's not to show you how pretty you are, it's to show you how beautiful He is and how fallen you and I are. Because the way Satan works in the human psyche is continually to say, I don't need God and I don't have any need of that. And my favourite saying is if you feel you have no need of God, go and talk to a leper who puts his hand on a hot plate flesh sizzles and he says I have no need of taking it off and you say brother it's a symptom of your disease you have no sensitivity to it you're in bigger trouble so we could spend an hour on each section of this tabletop so you have the sacrifices that are given to by God a loving God who says I want these sacrifices the slaying of lambs to be a Symbol of your desire to be reconciled with me. And over the years, he gives out prophets. Prophets speak in his name. He speaks, uh, he uses sacrifices. He uses the temple. He uses a lot of things through the Old Testament history where human beings are trying to stay in relationship with God and not doing particularly well. There's silence for 400 years. Still awake over here. Uh, Let's go to heaven for. Oh, it's much nicer over here, isn't it? Oh, Elma, what are you doing here? I didn't expect you. Um, anyway, and God's looking down from heaven and he's saying, they're not getting it, which I think is a trigger phrase around here. Um, and John the Baptist, 400 years of silence at the end of the Old Testament, and then John the Baptist turns up in, in, in camel skins and denim jeans and says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. A voice crying in the wilderness, saying, God is not dead, he's still around, and he's going to do something big. And of course, what would we, what would we do if we heard that? And if you heard that God was coming and was going to do something big, what do you expect? Sort of Bruce Springsteen concert or something? You know, something with glitz and fashion and sort of power. And Wouldn't you expect? Instead, down on First Avenue, in somebody's garage, a baby is born, and you know who the parents are—Sam I mean, and
1: Marian—and
0: they're even too old. They like Abraham and Sarah. I mean, what on earth? People go, "Good God!" when they hear the news. You—they're totally unexpected. And then Jesus emerges. And for the first time in thousands of years, the God of Eden appears in the fallen world to demonstrate the purpose of the God of all creation for his creation. Ultimately, what he's saying in Jesus is, this is the this is Adam before he and Eve got into the fruit. This is what I intended. And the funny thing was that wherever Jesus went, they were in tears all the time. Because he spoke to them as somebody who loved them beyond all the other stuff they ever did. He called them by name. And he walked up to the woman and said, woman, I love you. He walks up to Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I've got a purpose for you, even though you're politically uncorrect and you're unpopular and you're a thief. He went up to every person that he met and in some way touched them with the love of his father. All they had seen all their lives was religion. Keep laws, keep rules, make sure you do this, make sure you do that, jump this high. And everybody was saying, this is boring. And the The priests were saying, this is God. And really, they were into power, so they wanted control. And they were blocking the view to God. People couldn't see God because of the institution, and because of the rules, and the bureaucracy, and the crap. The only way to describe it. Human beings taking hold of religion blocked the way to God every single time. Because God lays down his life, and he comes in love and he's But he's also tough. He also says, my way or no way. So, Jesus is demonstrating to the disciples and around the disciples in Capernaum and Galilee the power of God. So he comes along and he says, you are sick, be healed. Why does he say that? Because he says, as we read, the prince of darkness wants to capture you. I've come to set the captive free. I am greater than he. He said that in John 14. He has no hold over me. I'm going to demonstrate that. So in healings, he lays hands on people and they are set free. He casts out demons and he demonstrates that the light of God, God's word, is more stro- is much stronger than the darkness. And so he casts it out and he heals and all the rest of it. And so everybody's really happy. Well, imagine you've been hanging around with Jesus for three years and suddenly he says, uh, "By the way, thanks for the meal tonight. Uh, this is the end. I'm dying." I'm going. And you've just given your whole life to this guy, you've wrestled with it, you've been quite excited by it, you've been challenged by it, and suddenly, now what? The world in which Jesus lived was not a friendly world. The Roman soldiers were not little cats. It was a violent world, it was a dangerous world, it was a hostile world, it was an unsettled political world. Anybody who thinks Christianity is this meek and mild toasty thing for little old ladies or little old men, it's only because you've been in the Western world and been deprogrammed. What you see in most of the Western world isn't Christianity. It's a religion that is powerless to captivate anybody. Jesus didn't go to the cross for it. Way, way too cheap. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going away. But I will come back to take you to be with me. And they didn't understand any of that. Just like we don't understand. David, do you want to bring the cross over here, please? it's time you carried the cross. Thank you so much. Put it up here in front, on the other side, please. Um, and right here. Thank you very much. So this is Easter what happens with the cross is that Jesus becomes, you know, God set the rules and people say, well, it's not fair, God, you know, God makes things so difficult. Well, God so loved the world that he sent his son. In other words, he made the condition for reconciliation with him. He realized the kids couldn't do it, so he said, my son will do it. My son will give his life as a perfect sacrifice. What's the problem with animal sacrifice? You have to do it over and over and over again. Why? Because it doesn't impact the inside. It doesn't change the human heart. It only changes the behavior pattern that's been already. So God said, we need to to get right back to the root of creation. We need to be able to restore the heart of my children. Now, how is the heart of my children restored? Well, the first thing we have to do is to clean them up. So Jesus goes to the cross. And the cross is the symbol of a perfect human sacrifice for a fallen human world. It's pretty much the same as if God's standard, you were just to stand before him right now and he said, well, this is my purpose for you. And he said, I didn't know. And he said, well, ignorance doesn't work. Try going to the States and driving around because you don't know the rules of the road and see how compassionate they are. Try watching your own attitude if somebody breaks into your house and says well I didn't know we weren't allowed to do that that's what we're doing Nicaragua the rules we have and apply to each other are pretty harsh and God said this is how I've created my my, my creation and these are the standards in my creation for all kinds of reasons that are not necessarily individually your problem or your, your responsibility we're polluted by this stuff right So he says the only way, because by definition of our creation and our association with other human beings, we are polluted, whether we are personally responsible for everything or not is irrelevant. We are polluted, and therefore we cannot be reconciled to God. We cannot have relationship with Him in our current condition. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Anybody? A baby cannot be born without sin. Might be innocent. That means not personally responsible. But because you and me are the parents, (laughs) they are polluted. So they are separated from God. They won't naturally come into a relationship with him. And Jesus went to the cross in order to take down that barrier. I don't know how this thing comes down, but it doesn't matter. Actually, it's not taken down. It's there. It's always there. What happens is the cross goes across it. And it provides the bridge that Lynn was speaking about earlier. And God God basically says, In Jesus, I provide a way for you to come back to me. Because in Jesus, your sin is forgiven. That which blocks us. When you say sorry to me, I say you are forgiven. I forgive you unconditionally when you just come to me and say, I acknowledge that I'm not what you call me to be. And I only can acknowledge the part that I realize. There's lots that I still will have to talk to you about. But that's why it's a bridge that's always open. Does that make sense? It's called repentance, which means a change of mind. It means, I realize I am not God, and God is God. And I am separated from Him And I want to have a relationship with him because he is ultimately the one that gives life meaning. And every human being tries to find meaning for their life. One of the fingerprints of God. I've got to watch my time. So Jesus goes to the cross, um, and I'm sure you're going to be talking about that next week, aren't you? Good. Why does Jesus go to the cross and why does Jesus go, he gets buried and they think he's dead and Satan jumps up and down and has a party and suddenly he reappears. You go, ooh, miscalculated there. And Jesus reappears to his disciples and the resurrection demonstrates the power of God over death. The only human being in history that has been heard of after death that didn't look like a few crumbs on some toast that they went and said this is now the resurrection, Mm -hmm. you know. These funny little things that happen when people say, now, we saw Mary on a wall somewhere. What was the point of all of this? this Because this is a long story to get to the real punchline. What's the point of it all? The point of it all is, nobody knows what the point of it is. (laughs) <laughs> What's redemption? That's a very religious world. You're in heaven, of course. Sorry. <laughs> She's pretty in pink in heaven.
1: What,
0: what what does redemption mean? They do look a miserable bunch over there, don't they? <laughs> you are a new creation. You end up redemption is it's about being restored into a relationship with God the Father. He's no longer Mr. God. He's no longer, oh, great one up there. He is that. But ultimately, it's like adopted children that rediscovering their parents. They're reconciled with God as Father. And he says, I love you. You're special to me. I actually created you to know me and to walk through this earth with me. I didn't mean you to be like the you know, wind up and put you off there and you do it on your own. So, why did Jesus therefore say to his disciples, I have to go where you cannot go now, because you cannot go now because your sin has not been forgiven. But you will be able to go there because once I've been to the cross, I open that door for you. You still have to walk through it. For those of you who want God to do everything for you, he's done a lot. You still have to stand up, respond to what he's done, and walk through it and take it for yourself. But he also said, I will send you the counsel and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, Jesus went off and left the disciples behind. And the disciples were left like this. Let me take the barrier down now just because it's down. Of course it exists for everybody. You know, the barrier is there every time sin is a part of our Problem. Just hold it one minute. I love to look at this. Not this in There. Not this
1: in
0: there. Okay. What Jesus said was, "Wait in Jerusalem, and I will give you power." The whole point of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, was to give us a reconciled relationship with God the Father, that we might know the love of the Father for us very profoundly, and that we would also have the power of God that Jesus had to help us live life in the way He wants us to live, because we cannot imitate Jesus. Jesus never said, try and do this. He said, I will do this in you and through you. So when I come to the cross, I say, Jesus, thank you that you took my sin on the cross. And when he takes my sin and forgives me, he then says, receive my spirit, which will give you power to live in a way that you didn't normally live. But unlike Jesus, this power is variable. The power of the Holy Spirit in the Christian is entirely dependent upon their relationship with you. If you ask Jesus into your life and then you just carry on doing whatever you want, guess what? You might still be a Christian, but you ain't got no power. And what? you remember we talked about fruit. He said, by your fruit you will be known. Fruit only comes with the Spirit of God growing in us. The whole point of God working through Jesus was to release the Spirit, to release people who would live like Jesus in the world, and how would they know? How would they be identified? By their fruit and by, what did he say many times in that chapter? He says, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. What's the biggest problem in the Christian church? We can't get on. We're all trying to be God. Or, why is this important? Or we take the spirit and we worship it. There's one other power cord through here. Everything God does, Satan mimics. There is a power cord that comes right through that produces life like that. That is of Satan. That is why Jesus said, if you're only going for power, you'll get really, really into trouble. It's not the light. It's the fruit of the light. He said, the power. You remember Moses went before the sorcerers and they produced snakes out of sticks and sticks out of snakes and all that stuff. Satan can produce, he can do healings. He can do anything he wants. The only thing he can't do is love and he can't bring people to Jesus. That is why the power of the Spirit and the cross of Christ and the thread of the Scriptures going right from beginning to end are how you measure these things. The Holy Spirit is not separated from the cross. It's found through the cross. The cross is not separated from Jesus. Jesus is not separated from the Spirit. They are all totally linked up. All the time. And then the good news is that there's all this resource available. Now, I'm nearly finished here. What is this? This is my last little illustration because, uh, Andrew, maybe you can come and help me. Just plug it in for me, please. Don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm, I'm going to embarrass somebody else. You can just pull that right up, And then thank you okay plug it in man there we go okay
1: no no no. no you,
0: you, you can't do that now elphra i want you to come up here i want to embarrass elphra because elphra had her 86th birthday i mean a short a short while ago now elphra when did thank you you come over here and face everybody cuz they just like to see you. And I'm not going to embarrass you more than you're already embarrassed right now. Again. I'm not okay, Alfred, okay. what is this? Let's make a drill. When did you last use a drill? Never. Never?
1: <laughs> oh, baby, this is your day.
0: Okay, well, do you want to hold it? Do you want to hold it? You don't drop it now. Okay, now, th- this turns the drill around and you make holes in it, you see? Okay. How do you like that? Doesn't have a drill in it because I didn't think that would be safe. <laughs> now, Alpha is. I want you to turn this thing at at, at a thousands and thousands of revolutions. With your hand. You're not doing too well. All right, take your hand away from there. Pull the trigger if you just hold on tight now. Whoa! Now. You must be exhausted now, right? You are exhausted now.
1: <laughs>
0: now, ladies and gentlemen, this is why Jesus went to the cross and why he poured out his spirit. So a little old lady of 86 could turn a grill with just pulling the trigger. You see, the gifts of God's spirit are not reliant upon your strength, your age, your wisdom. Many of us who said to Jesus, here I am, Lord, there's somebody I won't mention by name who said to me, well, if God wants me to do it? He will do it. God's given you the gifts of the Spirit. What do you have to do? Or well, pull it then. There you go. Thank you. Thanks very much. That was very well done. Appreciate that. There are all kinds of tools that God gives, powerful—the power for healing, the power for prophecy, the power for tongues, for prayer, the power to love, the power to serve, the power of hospitality—all kinds of stuff. You can't do it without the power of the Spirit. You can fake it, but as soon as somebody offends you, you'll just—you know—be normal. The Spirit will be pathetic. Some of us go, oh, you know, I'm not good enough. No, you're not. That's why you need the cross. What you tend to do is make excuses about why I don't want to submit to it, which just means you need to get into the love of the Father more because he wants to use his children to share his love and his life in the world. That's why we're here. And how do you know there's either power there or there's not power there? How do you know you've got power in you? pull the trigger you have to pull the trigger and by the way pulling the trigger just helps me know there's something there I still got to learn how to work it that's why we need humility and training and ongoing sharing how, we do, how do we do this stuff but you'll never know if God's given you the gift of healing if you never pray for anybody to be healed you'll never know if God's given you the gift of tongues if you never open your mouth and speak Most of us are spending all our time arguing about the power instead of saying, Lord, here it is. You can't tell that this has got power in it or not until you pull the trigger. And if you don't have power when you pull the trigger, you go back to the cross and say, Lord, forgive me. Maybe I'm blocking you. Maybe I'm getting into this dimmer thing. Does that make sense? It should be enormously encouraging to you To know that God sent His Son so that you might be loved and that you might be equipped and empowered to serve Him meaningfully in this world. Not because you're great. This is a pathetic looking instrument. But very effective as a drill. Some of us are drills. Some of us are table saws. Some of us are who knows what. Maybe a bit of both. You can be a square for Jesus. So what's the, what's the prayer? The prayer and the, the invitation this morning is saying, don't forget, behind all that is is this guy, God the Father. He's the gardener. And he'll do the pruning, the digging, and the working it out if we give him space to do that. That's why Jesus said, my Father and I will come and live in you. That is what Easter is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. So, where are you? That's what Billy Graham would say. Where are you today? And if you went outside and run over by a bus. But seriously, where are you? We're going to sing some songs, and and I'm being very vulnerable because I keep forgetting the song, but I thought it was important to try and sing. We better leave God on, actually. Are you still wondering about whether God exists? Are you still offering him sacrifices? trying to please Him, trying to impress Him, trying to do it in your own strength and get away with it? You haven't got a hope. If you come to the cross and say, Jesus, thank you that you lived and died for me. And thank you so much this Easter that I can know my sins are forgiven. And every day after that, I can know my sins are forgiven because I come before you. Thank you, Jesus, that you sent your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've given me your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit lives in me. Maybe I don't even see evidence of it, and I have to go, I don't see anything yet. Well, that's why we need one another. We need one another to help us learn how to be equipped in the Holy Spirit to do the works of Jesus and to be the people of Jesus. That's why we also need one another, because it's in the context of one another that we need heard of God, because I love everybody when I don't meet anybody. When I meet and interact with people, that the lack of love comes up, and that's where I need God's Spirit to help me. So as we spend some time in 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 a time of worship, now, just respond to wherever God is calling you, in enormous love. It's got nothing to do with condemnation. It's got to do with enormous love of saying, you're settling for less. This is what I've come to give you. So let me pour it out in you more and more. So Father, I pray for each of us as we we gather here today. Thank you for your love laid down in Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Where everything that gets in the way has been dealt with by Jesus. And thank you that the cross and the dead body hanging there is not where it ends. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from that cross, that your Father demonstrated your power, his power, and that you poured out your Spirit so that we might know the resources to live life that we can't live otherwise. So we pray for one another, wherever we are this morning with you, that you would take us another step along that path that we might know your power and your presence among us. Let your Holy Spirit brood over us now, Lord, and enable us to respond to you in whichever way is appropriate for us today. Thank you, Lord.